to welcome everybody to this episode of the PYB podcast as a part of the PYB voice series. Our guest today embodies the mission of PYB and Philadelphia as a whole. Isaiah Thomas grew up in the Oak Lane section of Philadelphia, attended Frankfurt High School, and then went on to receive a bachelor's from Penn State and a master's in education from Lincoln University. He is a recent winner of an at-large seat in the Democratic primary election for Philadelphia City Council. This was his third time running since 2011 and first time being victorious. He also serves as the head boys varsity basketball coach of Sankofa Freedom Academy Charter School, which competes in the top division of Philadelphia's public league and is the reigning Class A Pennsylvania State Champion. Additionally, Isaiah has spent time as Sankofa's athletic director, dean of students, and varsity softball coach. On top of that, he volunteers for organizations that advocate for communities of color, including the Mayor's Commission on African American Males and the Cambodian Association of Greater Philadelphia. Please welcome on Democratic-elect for City Council at Large, Mr. Isaiah Thomas. Here with Mr. Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah, how you doing? I'm great, man. Excited to be here. Happy to have you. Uh, so just to start, how have things changed for you since winning the election? <laughs> um, I think uh, I think ch- things have uh, changed significantly. Um, first of all, we're here doing uh, PYB stuff. So just as a basketball coach, just thinking about those responsibilities and how that stuff has shifted. Um, but I think uh, what's what's been different is I can tell I'm a lot of people's like Monday at 9 a.m. Uh, that's a good example of like how things are shifting. You know, how you think of something on a Saturday mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I'm going to just send them an email, you know, first thing Monday right. morning. Um, so I think what, what really has shifted is that people have recognized that I won and the, le- the level of preparation that it takes to uh, what I'm hoping to do is to transition and to be effective day one once I hit the ground. So it's been different in the sense of the meetings I'm taking, uh, the folks I'm talking to in the process of transitioning in and just the level of expectations that average everyday people have for me as well. Um, but then also, you know, thinking about some of the other work that I do, specifically in the world of sports and servicing mm-hmm. youth and young people, um, all that stuff kind of has collapsed in there. So a lot of people, uh, myself included, have followed your political journey. But I think what a lot of people, uh, especially around the Philadelphia basketball community, want to know is, are you still going to be able to coach Sankofa while being on city council? Yeah, I uh, actually I am. So um, I am going to, at least, uh, so you figure I get sworn in in January. Mm-hmm. You, you play high school basketball. The the bulk of the work really will happen um, really starting now in the summertime uh, up until about December. And then, um, you know, once January comes, uh, I'll be transitioning in, but we'll be in full season mode. I got a great staff as far as assistant coaches. Um, I think we put together a good pipeline over at San Cofa over the last mm-hmm. decade. This year will be my 11th year coaching. And, um, you know, I have assistant coaches and folks who I've helped put in a position to be able to succeed me if we do feel like I need to step down. But for this year, I'm going to stay and uh, be a part of that transition. I'm also going to stay the president of the Coaches Association as well for the public league, at least for this year. That'll certainly be good for the future of the league. Uh, As a little disclaimer to the listeners, I played at Central High School a couple years back, um, which was, I guess, before Sankofa really reached their peak as a program. So they were uh, still competing in the B division and handed my Central team a couple losses, but (laughs) but no hard feelings over that. Yeah, your brother has a different story. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, she beat us a couple times. Those were kind of when the... uh, 
the scripts were flipped and Central yeah. was near the top and uh, Sankofa wasn't, but happy to see the success your program has had. Thank you. Um, so I think it's no secret you've obviously done a great job with the Sankofa basketball cr- program from a basketball perspective, but talk a little bit about your approach to coaching and mentoring as kind of holistically not just focus on getting those W's on the court. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's always going to be bigger than basketball, and that's not a philosophy that I created or uh, something that I came up with. It's something that was instilled in me, first and foremost, by my father and my older brothers who all play sports, but then by the coaches that I had throughout the course of my athletic journey. And, um, you know, I've tried to steal the same thing and the young people is definitely not all about wins and losses we all want to win and you know we're competitive but at the same time we always use basketball as a vehicle to help teach young people life lessons and we want them to understand that it's bigger than basketball our big thing for our team at Sankofa is the one for your brother what you want for yourself we feel like if that translates to the young people on the court it helps make them better young men off the court and um, even outside of Sankofa the work that I've done with my foundation the work that I've done with my basketball camp you know we've always tried to teach young people to use sports and athletics for me specifically basketball as a way to help as a, as a vehicle to help navigate your way through life and so um, you talked about the city council race you know some of my biggest supporters were people that I played sports with mm-hmm. growing up in high school and growing up in middle school my, my uh, nonprofit organization in my camp is somebody who I played middle school basketball with and that's how we kind of oh, put wow. that together one of my biggest donors was somebody who I actually um, went to high school with who ended up who was a football player mm-hmm. but you know, we play basketball together. Right. So um, those relationships last a lifetime if we can uh, facilitate them and use them in the right way. And that's my goal and what I try to teach young people. Um, and, you know, in, in their mind, they're getting better and they're staying out of trouble and all those things are good. But the goal is to plant seeds that, you know, hopefully uh, grow as they grow. There's a lot of parts of your job that you find really rewarding. Is there one particular instance or anecdote or just kind of a, a general thing that comes off as most rewarding to you? I think the most rewarding thing is when, when, when the light bulb comes on for young people and they, they're able to put together a body of work and see their body of work essentially flourish. And I think my nephew Kobe is a great example. Mm-hmm. Kobe's a, a, a senior who just graduated from Sankofa. And over the last four years, you know, he, he has been at Sankofa and it's difficult for him because he's playing for his uncle. Right. Um, but he's also, uh, you know, 5'8". And um, when he came from eighth grade to ninth grade, um, his body was nowhere near ready to play varsity basketball. And he really didn't understand exactly what it took to get there but he trusted me he trusted his father his mother who were also uh, sports folks he had an older sister who was going to the school as well at the time and I think uh, just being able to watch him go from um, you know a puny eighth grader coming in to the young man that um, I see in front of me today who not only had a phenomenal four-year career at Sankofa but also helped put our program in a position where as though you know we are where we are in part because of him because not just because of his skill set but because of the, the young people he was able to attract to come mm-hmm. to the school as well and that matters significantly because that takes a certain level of charisma uh, interpersonal skills uh, personality that I think he's going to be able to essentially use and let that translate into how he navigates his professional mm-hmm. life and those are the type of lessons that we like to speak to and speak into existence and hopefully teach the young people. So, I, I mean, I, I can't ask for a better story as an uncle than my own nephew. And for me, to win my first stage championship with my nephew as my point guard, um, that's something that myself and my family will never forget for the rest of our life. Right. I'm sure that has to be special for your whole yeah, family. Absolutely. Um, on the flip side of that, what to you has been the greatest challenge working with youth or what kind of is is something that makes it har- hardest for you to stay fully engaged and, and fully motivated? Um, I mean, if you're doing this work, 
the hardest part is the failures. Like you're gonna have those stories that don't end well. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have those students and those young people that you work with that, you know, it doesn't have the the, the fairy tale ending. Right. And how do you persevere past that? You're also gonna sometimes run into red tape, um, especially in this city, whereas though um, there'll be hurdles in a way for whatever it is that your vision is. Sometimes, you know, it's a rec center that you can't get or a space that you can't get for your young people. Sometimes it's a sponsorship that you need for a particular project that you're working on. Um, I can relate to all those things, and I know those things often get in the way. But for me, I've been able to persevere past a lot of that. For me, my biggest hurdle was always um, the failures and the adults who are involved in those failures. Because whenever a young person fails, um, as far as my experience and the stories and the, and the relationships I have, whenever a young person fails, um, there's a direct correlation to an adult that's in that young person's life who essentially uh, could have done a better job of being mm-hmm. a support system and a mentor and, a, and, and an example. Um, so those are the frustrating ones, but that's also what kind of uh, drives me to keep going because there's a lot of work to be done, um, especially when you look at the state of our city right now. Mm. How, how tough is that for you to kind of invest time and energy into a kid and whether or not it has anything to do with you, maybe there's outside influences at play, but when you see a kid ends up not successful, be it drops out of high school or could end up going to prison or something like that, I'm not sure the specifics of kids you've worked with, but how tough is that for you to almost feel as though a, a, a kid failed and you had a, had a role in that, not to say it was a negative effect? I mean, it's tough in the sense that you wish you could have done something more. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily something different, because a lot of times when we work with young people, we're putting all our effort and energy that we have mm-hmm. um, available into that young person as well as resources. But sometimes you don't have enough resources. Sometimes, you know, you can't provide a job to keep a young person from being involved in, an acti- in a negative activity. Sometimes you can't remove them from their community to keep them from observing mm-hmm. uh, specific uh, different uh, traumatic things that might have happened in their neighborhood. So you you you. you it's difficult. It's not easy. But at the same time, you got to recognize what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. And um, part of my inspiration for running for office is to put myself in a position to be able to have more resources to be able to help young people. And so for me, it's like, well, why would I step away from coaching and a lot of the work that I do that put me in a space where I really understand the problems that young people face on a consistent basis? If um, that's what inspired me to run for city council in the first place, it's almost a contradiction, a contradiction as to why I ran. If anything, I should do more for young people. I should have more camps available and more spaces mm-hmm. available for young people to be able to occupy occupy their time in a positive capacity. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so as a coach for a competitive team like Sankofa, like I said, you guys are in the public league A division, which is some of the best basketball in the area. You won a state championship. And it's always great to say it's not all about wins and losses, but when you're in a position like yourself, when you're you're sending players Division One, a kid like Khalil Turner is going to Ryder, I believe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you kind of balance preparing those kids who do have potential to really excel in basketball versus kind of giving attention to every kid, even those who don't really excel on the court? So we give attention to every kid because the type of attention that they need most of the time isn't athletic. You know, the gym is open for everybody as far as uh, availability and who wants to do what. It's not like there are certain times the gym's open for the Division One players and there's certain times that it's not. Uh, what what I've noticed and what tends to happen is the, the, the students who are Division One players are there because they are the ones who put in the most work. They are the ones who put in the repetition. Um, I think Khalil is a great example. He's a, a 
person who started in the Freedom Schools program with us, and um, we've known him and his family since he was in about second grade. You know, and a lot of people don't know Khalil was actually a football player uh, at first, and um, his brother played for San Kofa. His brother was uh, one of our first uh, class of players, our first graduating class. His brother was a part of that class. I'm pretty sure his brother played against your brother, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I definitely remember um, trying to guard Khalil my senior year when he was a sophomore, and yeah. then that got off only recreation center. Yeah, and, uh, is, yeah. So you see, he some, gave me the business for sure. You see some progress there. I mean, so you know, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not a matter of, 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 of us offering certain things for young people and not offering certain things for young people is, you know, the better children tend to be the one to take advantage of it, and that's why they're the better players. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we always tell the children everybody gets treated fair, but that don't mean everybody gets treated equal. Right. And that's an important lesson that young people should learn early on and um, help them navigate their way through life because that's just the, that's the, honest, that's the honest truth. And so... Um, you know, there are things that happen with a Division One player that's a little different than other players in the sense of, like, um, who's coming to the gym to see him and what happens when those folks come into the gym mm-hmm. to see him. You know, that kind of changes things a little bit when you got somebody driving or flying in to see a particular player right. and how his practice is structured and things of that capacity. So there are some adjustments that have to be made. And, you know, you, you explain to young people that those are the the necessities to put to put other people in a position to earn a full scholarship. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we want to win. We want to win like everybody else. But at the same time, you know, we're not going to uh, put ourselves in a position where we're jeopardizing, like, our character right. and who we are as a program just to win basketball. Understanding your identity yeah. first. and the identities is... is Get your interest in that. Sure. Um, so what are the biggest pressures? For example, taking a kid like Khalil or kids from Imhotep or Roman, whoever, that really excel on the basketball court, particularly young black boys and men in Philadelphia, what are the biggest kind of external pressures? I think the, the, the first level of pressure comes from just the just this era of social media and just, um, you know, knowing that everything is taped and at any time you could be a part of something that could essentially go viral. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a part of their subconscious and it's you can see it in how they play sometimes um, so that that's the first level of pressure then you have that level of pressure that comes from your peers and your colleagues and often that's that you know how many points did you have type text message mm-hmm. or you know and that's a little bit of pressure as well too because we often uh, assess a good game or a bad game or success or not success not just on wins and losses but individual performances right. so that's always going to be a certain level of pressure there and Khalil's a great example of a kid who didn't really uh, apply to that level of pressure. Mm -hmm. He never let like points and stats determine what success was. So I give him a lot, actually give him a lot of credit for that. Him and Kobe, most of the guys that say Kobe, but especially him and Kobe. Um, The next level of pressure, I think, is this newfound pressure for me is just like this whole Philadelphia basketball Mm -hmm. scene where folks are just like extra critical of of, of high school students. And I'm not saying it hasn't always been that case. I'm pretty sure it has. I think it's, um, it's increased significantly because of social media and social media platforms and social media giving everybody an opportunity to be some type of critic or some type of uh, analyst. Look, you know, the thing. Yeah, I mean, and I I think the thing that gets forgotten when you're an expert or you're, um, you know, you know what's going on is the fact that these are children that we're coaching, not adults. And when you're coaching children, especially children who live in the largest 
poorest city in the entire country, mm-hmm. especially children who live in a city where uh, gun violence is running rampant and the murder rate is climbing every single day. You don't know what type of trauma them young people have experienced. So you might see a, a team who's playing a bad game or a few children who's arguing or um, uh, um, some shot selection that might not necessarily be the best, but often you don't know the backstory that led up to you know, what might be a negative performance or might, what might be going on in that locker room or with those children. And that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure that young people um, have to essentially perform. But at the same time, they have a bigger stage and a bigger platform um, as basketball players than what we've ever seen before. I mean, just look at what happened with free agency over the last right. you know couple of hours. It's been crazy. But the level of contracts and the amount of dollars that's been spent is the testimony to how popular basketball is and how fiscally beneficial it can be when done the right way. So that put pressure on everybody across the board. Um, But just for me as a high school coach who just love coaching and mentoring young people, I don't feel that pressure. That pressure doesn't mean nothing to me because I tell people all the time, whether I win a state championship or not, you know, my life stays the same. You know, only thing I get when I win a championship is a bill. Nothing else happens. Nobody gave me a bonus, no raises or anything like that. I got a bill for rings and jackets and things of that capacity, which means it's more work for me to do right. to figure out where those dollars come from. Right. So, I, I, and again, I, I wouldn't trade it again at all for the world. You know, it's a phenomenal experience. It's something that we'll never forget for the rest of our life, but it's not why I do the work. So you touched on it a bit with kind of the the adults in the city and everyone having a voice, just being on, on Facebook and things like that. You can see that when there's a kid who... Once he reaches even 15, 16, if you're good at basketball in the city, you will be known. And it's not always always positive stuff coming out there. That I mean, I, I see these kind of 16-year-old sophomores getting criticized for having five bad shots in a summer league game or something like that. And it just really seems like, like you said, people aren't understanding the context of, of these are kids dealing with everyday things um, and even more kind of traumatic things depending on their, on their background. How to... What needs to change among adults in the city to kind of make high school basketball a more healthy, positive nature around it? Not that it's a negative entity as is, but there's a lot of negativity in it. I do think it's a good amount of negativity, but I don't think it's a higher percentage of negativity than what you'll see in Mm -hmm. most other aspects of life, right? right? We just looked at... um, People like to criticize. Yeah, I mean, mean, people like to criticize, but in any aspect of life, there's always going to be some bad apples. And so... Um, when I think about the basketball scene in Philadelphia, specifically the adults, I think that it's more about perception and who you expose yourself to, right? So for if you're not a part of certain platforms and you're not involved in certain dialogue, then you never expose yourself to that negativity. And for the most part, the young people will never lay their eyes on the negativity. You know, and the reality is young people are on Instagram and, you know, their outlets while the adults are on Facebook Bigger, and their outlets. Think, so yeah, it's, it's exactly. totally different. Often the young people will only see it when it's shown to them exactly. by an adult. And so um, for me, and I, for a lot of coaches, I know what they do is they just try not to expose, especially during the season, just try not to expose themselves to that level of dialogue. And then when it does happen and when there's some level of criticism for me, I, I like to address it. You know, I'll have a conversation with me. Tell me what you think. You know, I, I would love to have that conversation because, you know, I trust my basketball IQ. You know, I'm a basketball guy in this city. I played in this city. And anybody who's ever played with me or known me to be, um, um, known me to be a certain type of player, it's always been about my IQ and how mm-hmm. I think the game through. Um, so 
and I pride myself on that. And um, I'm always open to a dialogue around what should have been done or adjustment that should have made. And I don't always got the right answers. Um, that's why I think I have a good coaching staff and a deep coaching staff who are very critical and very uh, always looking to get better. I mean, I'm really excited for this year for us because, you know, we lost a lot of players and a lot of the, the, the folks that we have coming back, people don't know, which means the bars real low. And, um, you know, like most people in Philadelphia, I love being an underdog. It's just better that way. Um, last year was probably the first year that we really weren't considered an underdog program. And, um, you know, that was a lot of pressure for the young people. It was pressure that they had never felt before for there to be a certain level of scrutiny every single game they play, for the lights to be on, you know, for all 22 games plus every playoff game. And... Um, it was a transition for them. And I think this year, um, the team that we're bringing back this year, I think will, um, I think they'll respond and respond in a positive way. So on the flip side of that kind of negativity that I certainly wouldn't support, um, have, you, have you noticed that there's anything with kids kind of getting overly positive feedback, especially the the better players growing up that kind I don't of has think, an I say, I don't effect. think it's no such thing as overly positive. Like, if a kid is hyped up more than he should have been, good. I'm, I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Hype the kid up. I think there's nothing wrong with that because I think, um, for me, I see Philadelphia basketball as like a unity, like a unit. And so for me, you know, I always want to push and sell our kids. I don't know many kids in Philadelphia who's getting recruited on a level that they really shouldn't or gets hyped up in a way that they essentially doesn't deserve to be hyped up. I don't really see that uh, too often in the city um, from my perspective. Um, but again, I, I, I don't see as much. Ne- I know the negativity is out there, but I don't see as much negativity as other folks might because I really don't indulge. Um, right. And I do think there are like if I had it, if I had a player who was division. So when I first started coaching, I felt like if I had a player who deserved a scholarship, Mm -hmm. I feel like it would have been much more difficult than what it is right now to get that player seen. I feel like I know exactly who to call. I know exactly who I can talk to. I know exactly where to put children at for them to be able to show that they're scholarship worthy athletes. And I think there's nothing that's better than that. And Mm -hmm. when you have that landscape in the city, which is what we have right now, um, you know, the sky's the limit for what we can do in the basketball world. There's always going to be some level of negativity. It's always going to be somebody who don't got a job. It's always going to be somebody who feel like they should be in a different place. You, you just got to kind of deal with that and use your wins as, you know, the different events that we have across the city, the young people that we're producing. One of the main things in your in your platform that you've kind of always promoted uh, when working with the youth is access to higher education and or workforce readiness programs like internships, apprenticeships, vocational training, et cetera. Um, touch on that and kind of the, the importance of that. I mean, it's, it's important because young people need to see a tangible example, tangible examples of what it means to be in a professional world, whether you play sports or not, or even if you do play sports, eventually for everybody, the basketball stopped dribbling at some point. When that happens and under what circumstances varies from player to player, but it happens for everybody. So we want young people to be prepared to transition into the workforce whenever that happens. A lot of our young people are graduating from high school and not going looking to go to higher academia. And we want them to be able to go into the workforce and have the basic soft skills that they need to be successful. I mean, on top of that, I know you went to Central, um, but I mean, how was your senior year at Central? I know most young people their senior year, for the most part, those last couple months are a wash. It, yeah. it goes into like coast mode where you're 100%. like ready to graduate. I would like to take those last couple months and make those couple months the times where seniors are mandated to participate in some level of internship hours because I mean, I know for me, graduating from Frankfurt my senior year, it would have been much more beneficial for 
me to step into a space like a 1735 market or a city hall right. or something of that capacity for about six weeks or so, just so I understand the importance of being on time, you know, um, norms and uh, social etiquettes that take place in a professional atmosphere. How do people dress and things of that capacity? So I think if we want to prepare young people to be more productive citizens of society, if we want our school district to be stronger and produce the best possible outcomes, it's important that we mandate uh, internships for young people during their senior year in high school so that they can get the experiences that they need. Um, so to go back to you for a second, um, you were unsuccessful in your first two campaigns to get elected and third time's a charm for you. Congrats <laughs> again on that. Thank you. Are you able to use your journey to getting elected as kind of a, a real world example of, of resilience and not letting one or two failures get you down in in something you're trying to pursue? I think it has. Like, I think if you look at young people who watched me when I first started coaching to young people who see me now, who themselves have gone through some life struggles, right? If you mm-hmm. met me uh, maybe five years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, you've seen me lose. You've seen me fall down. And so um, while I might say it or tell that story here or there, I think what's more powerful and what's more impactful is the young people who've known me for 10 years from the time this was an idea to it turn it into an actuality. So I think the narrative itself inspires young people not just to be involved in politics, but to but to show some level of perseverance because you know when you put your eyes on an objective and a goal, you might not achieve it in the beginning. Right. But I'm an example of showing like, you know, Keep it at, keep at it. Push a little harder. Get a little better. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important for for kids to see people who have failed and either are on their way to success or have kind of gotten over that hill. You can hear from an NBA player like a Kyle Lowry speak to you about yeah. the success he has, but yeah. at the end of the day, there's he's Kyle Lowry for a reason. Not not every kid's going to be able to do that. So to be able to hear from someone like yourself who's not been successful their main goal once or twice and then has has kind of um, picked themselves up and, and gotten back to that success is important for kids to hear. Um, what should Philadelphia look like in 10 years and where does PYB fit into that picture? So what should Philadelphia look like in 10 years? It should be as brown and black as it is right now. Um, it should be much more of a technology-based city. It should be much safer as a municipality. And it should be... Um, it should continue to be a place that essentially houses the eds, the meds, and the beds. And that's what we kind of pride ourselves in as far as our universities, um, our, our tourist attraction, which um, gives us a booming Can hotel you industry. With that, uh, with that slogan? Oh, yeah, the eds, the meds, and the beds. So the eds is the universities mm-hmm. here. Um, the meds are the uh, number of different hospitals that mm-hmm. are in the city. And um, the beds are is the, is the tourist attraction, which right. essentially gives us a thriving hotel industry. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the anchor, the anchors of our city. Right. And so, um, you know, you, you would hope that those uh, areas continue to grow and thrive. But at the same time, uh, finding a way to assure that we retain a lot of the, the, the brown and black folks who essentially are getting pushed out of the city. And so in 10 years, I see... Um, I think hopefully was a better Philadelphia, a better economy, um, less um, unemployment, less gun violence, better schools. And I see I see PYB um, over the next 10 years as being one of the lead uh, nonprofit organizations, mentoring nonprofit organizations in the city, um, specifically in the world of athletics. But most importantly, having a facility that houses a lot of the Philadelphia based uh, basketball events across the city of Philadelphia. And Mm -hmm. I think that is a big gap that we have. If um, somebody like Allen Iverson wanted to do his classic here in the city instead of on the outskirts of the city, it's just difficult to find the perfect facility 
facility that can um, accommodate them in the exact capacity that they want to, especially when you consider the fact that a lot of those games can't be played at your local universities. And so while we do have a ton of those, we do need uh, space for more athletic hubs that essentially can um, be that middle ground between schools, universities, but also um, having space for young people to essentially build their skill level as well, too. Right. It seems like a lot of the stuff that's done now is either done at a, like a Jefferson University or, or a Ben Franklin, but it certainly would be nice to kind of have that, that homegrown spot to really host yeah, and showcase that middle ground. The, the talent Philadelphia has. So last question here, um, just wrapping up. So how important is it from, from your perspective for politicians and the people making the, the policy in the city to really get their hands dirty, if you will, like you have in the sense of working directly with young people, the people they serve, their constituents. I mean, that's and, my and to neck. really know what, what's happening. Yeah, I mean, that's my neck. I think it's important, but other people will say that it's, it's important that you have people in politics who are CEOs of business. It's important that you have lawyers. I think the most important thing is that you have a balance mm-hmm. and you have uh, folks who represent uh, various aspects of life. And I think, I'm not saying that every politician should have that type of background, but when you're looking at a legislative body, somebody should right. because somebody should speak for that specific demographic. So while everybody doesn't have that background, I'm glad that I do, and I'm glad that I'm going to be a champion and uh, advocate specifically in the legislative body of our city government, which is city council, um, for our children and our young people. So I'm excited. I think that um, we've already hit the ground running. Um, I'm even increasing. We we already know that we have a lot of stuff going on, so I'm increasing my services this summer uh, just to be able to uh, try to provide more free resources and free programs for the children in the city. So um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's important, but um, I'm glad that I'm that voice and I'm that person who's going to be able to advocate for that demographic. Mm-hmm. I'm sure uh, myself included are happy to have you in that position. <laughs> Thank you, brother. On, I appreciate on, it. on city council. Um, lastly, before we go, is, is there uh-huh. anything that we haven't touched on that you either want to talk about or make the listeners aware of something? something uh, I'm proud of the Sixers. You know, I think we did a good job with Solid all season. Yeah. Solid <laughs> all season. I'm, I'm not, not, that. not quite sure about the money we gave Horford, but we'll, well see. So, so a lot of Horford's money is is contingent upon winning. So like he has it. to, it's like, so it tied into his contract mm-hmm. is actually not all guaranteed money. Right, right. Because a lot exactly. of it is that like 12, championship 12 bonus, bonus win bonuses and things exactly. like that. Exactly. I'm sure yeah. Philly will appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. So to wrap we, up. We, we win it, pay the man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. To wrap up, Isaiah, thank you for joining me and congratulations again on that victory. Hashtag you are PYB, hashtag I am PYB, and hashtag we are PYB. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks.